Hi everyone and welcome to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. My name is Lori and today I am joined again by Danielle to hear the second part of her story that we heard last week, uh, which is her moving from prison after nine months to a rehab facility. So if you haven't heard our last week's episode, I super recommend you doing that first before you listen to this one. Before we get started, I wanted to say thank you so much to our new Patreon supporters. Uh, We've got David, Stacy, Danielle, and Henry. We appreciate you so much and hope you enjoy your bonus content. And if you have not followed us on Patreon, you're totally welcome to do so. Um, You'll find a bunch of bonus episodes. Uh, You get some uh, podcast stickers, a thank you card, um, and various other additional content for you. So please enjoy this episode with Danielle. This is part two of her story. So I got to rehab with like nothing. I had like my jail sweats on um, a white t-shirt and like my roommate in rehab was amazing. Like she actually checked herself in because you get a lot of girls who do check themselves in. Not everybody's coming from jail. Um, I was also fortunate that because I had health insurance, I was able to go to a nicer facility. But like she, I remember like the first, second night there, I met my roommate. Uh, she was, we were all in detox because you do a couple days in detox. Even which, if you're not- which is funny because I was going to say you weren't detoxing from anything. Yeah. So you um, were just straight chilling the entire time. Yeah. yeah. So um, I actually, I met her and she asked if I had shampoo and conditioner. And she had matrix shampoo and conditioner. And I, mind you, I had been using, even in jail, like the nicest you're getting is VO5. Like, so I washed, conditioned my hair. She let me use her body wash. She gave me, she had these disposable Venus razors. I hadn't shaved in eight and a half months. Oh my God. (laughs) Without being too gross, the other girls in jail all called me wolf pussy. Um, Yeah. A wolf. Yeah, because they oh I wouldn't shave. All we got were these one blade ra- single blade plastic razors. Yeah, and you don't want to like, fuck I, around down there with that. Yeah. Nope. So um no, she gave me she gave me a disposable Venus razor. I want to make that the name of this episode. I'm obviously not going to, but that would be so oh. hilarious. Oh yeah. It was it was I would joke, I'd be like, my bush has become a forest. Yeah, it so like the girl who became my roommate, like I got out of the shower. And she loaned me her wet brush. And I just remember I was so overwhelmed. I was like sobbing in the shower. And I just remember saying to her, like, you have no idea how much like that meant. Just like (laughs) using real face wash, using shampoo. Like I could comb my hair after a shower. Because normally, I mean, like I have super long hair. I had to let it dry because I couldn't eat. We had these like 25 cent plastic combs. That was it. I could not comb my hair after a shower in jail. It just wouldn't go through. She gave gave me a t-shirt. Other girls gave me clothes. Another girl gave me a pair of like shoes to wear. And like the, obviously they gave me cigarettes because that's what everybody does. I hadn't smoked in 15 years. I got to rehab first day, went through a pack of cigarettes. Um, Yeah. 
just because that's what you do. That's your breaks. That's where everybody hangs out in the smoke tent. But like she, she bought until I got money from uh, my family sent to me, she bought me packs of cigarettes. She was amazing. I could not have asked for a better, like we're still friends. We still like talk and check in with each other every freaking day. Even the rehab environment, like when I say like you get a five minute eval, like I got a five minute eval with a psychiatrist when I got there. That was it. Mm. And then like you get, we got, and this is mind you, this is a private insurance rehab. This is not bargain basement rehab. We got one 30 minute session with our counselor every week. And 10 of those minutes were a phone call home. What? Yeah. So like, what the, the hell re- are you doing every day? The rest of it was groups, which. Okay. I mean, I did not have a great counselor. My counselor literally did the same group every day. Um, oh. It was always like, I have these cards that have questions on them that we're going to pick one and you're going to answer. And it was like, it would range from like, if you could have any superpower to describe a moment in your life that was really dark. And so like, one of the things that frustrated me was a lot of the groups were co-ed and we had a lot of girls with PTSD. Right. From So like just being around men would set them off. Some of, some of the counselors were great and some like super amazing and some were not so great. Um, Like there was one guy who really loved to scream and yell. In session? Yeah. Like that was just his talking style was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, those people who talk at you, not to you. Totally. Um, but like, I knew girls who just couldn't go to his set, who would skip his sessions and would just leave because he set off their PTSD. Yeah, of course. Right. And like for, cause you've done DBT before. So mm-hmm. like the fact that you've done DBT and like you understand how effective groups like that can be, I, it would be so frustrating to just be like sitting in like nothing yeah. and it was which is funny because i actually you had to go to these to your groups in order to get a discharge and so i told the one girl i was like don't think of it as a group think of it as a coping skills practice for 45 minutes mm, like, yeah like i ended up talking her through it where it was like don't pay attention to what he says don't listen to him just try to sit there and be present with yourself rather than trying to engage in the group and getting triggered work on a really good way of doing it. And so like, she was finally able, but like nothing was pissed because none of the counselors gave her that suggestion. You know, it had to be another patient that said, just try to be in the group, focus on your breathing. Just, just sit there, box, breathe the entire time and try to make it through that 45 minutes where you just breathe in for four, breathe out for four and see if, if you can make it through his group that way. Uh, rather than trying to focus on what he says and listen to what he says, just be with yourself, you know, where it was just, it was sort of frustrating. And I mean, there were like 80 women there. Oh, wow. That's huge. Yeah. There there were 80 women and a hundred men. Holy crap. It was funny because the one night I came out of the shower and when I say that you will probably get an influx of listeners, Boy, did I pass around because like 40 to 60% of the prison population, at least 30 to 60% of the rehab population. Yeah, totally. But again, you had girls who had the diagnosis, but didn't know what it meant. 
who had never done DBT, who only had it on paper and maybe a couple of handouts. Mm-hmm. So like I, I was literally coming out of the shower one night and a girl was sitting in the common area and she said she was explaining that she had BPD and, and they were asking what it was. And I said, and she was having a hard time describing it. And I said, it's like having third degree burns all over your emotions all the time, which yeah. I've heard from you guys. Yeah. Marsha Lonahan, that's her quote. Yep. So, it, and like, we actually, we bonded, we became friends and I told her, I was like, you've never done, you've had this diagnosis. She was super smart. She's amazing. I hope she's listening, but I I mean, we obviously, we bought, she jokingly, she was like, you're my new favorite person. Um, because <laughs> oh, I feel I was, like that would be easy to do in that context, honestly. Yeah. But it was, it was nice. Cause I was able to like, no, try to get into DBT, listen to this podcast. Like you're not the, you're not the only one who feels like this. I promise you. Um, yeah. There's a the, whole community the, of people out there that you just don't know exist yet. We have a great group, like come listen to the podcast, see if you can get in the group. Like you don't have to feel like this all the time. Um, like I just from being older and being in DBT, I know that like your symptoms fade. Like when I go through the DSM nine, I'm instead of hitting all nine now, I'm probably hitting like five. Right. I'm totally there. So I was, I was like, there's hope. Like you're not going to always feel like this. And this is a girl who again, had private insurance had been I think this was like her 11th rehab facility. Um, She hadn't been in jail before, but she had definitely gone through, like she had been hospitalized inpatient for mental health. She had done rehab before. um, And no one gave her these tools to like get better. Which is so sad because it's like, what the hell are they doing then? You know what I mean? Like we know that this is effective. Why aren't we using it? And, you know, maybe it's because these facilities are for profit and they don't actually want you to get that much better. Just a thought. Well, I was appalled when they were giving the statistics of like, of, of the rehab, of the population rehab, 30% will become clean and stay clean. That means 60% will relapse and end up back or 30% will relapse and end up back in rehab and another 30% will end up dead. Right. Yeah. And all I could think was if we had a medication that were only 30% effective and you potentially still died anyway, like, I don't think the FDA would approve that. Totally. Yeah. Why do we have all of these rehab centers that are only at best 30% effective? And yet this is, this is what is medically recommended for people with addiction and dual disorder. I mean, I do think that like part of that, like we all know you like as an individual who has gone through treatment and like had had like rock bottom moment that moved me into it. Like you do have to want to be there, right? Even if it sucks. So like, you know, if if 50 percent of people that are there is court ordered or because they want to get out of jail, then like maybe they're not in the right place for that. But yeah, I mean, I've heard even like it takes up to 10 times detoxing to finally like kind of my, my roommate there. was on her 11th rehab. Yeah. Um, she Which actually had wild. just completed 28 days, was home for two weeks, relapsed and wound up back in rehab. But honestly, good for her because yeah. 
she also could have said like fuck this it's not working and she wouldn't try again so like honestly like yes bad for the system that they're not doing more but good for her for continuing to try that's incredible like you could almost spot the girls who were going to make it the 28 days and who weren't you could spot the ones who were just going through the motions and I used it more as a dual diagnosis, like get my head right before I came home because I knew like a step. Yeah. Like I knew being in jail, like was not good for my mental health. Like I said, the last two months I was there, I, I was, I was a fucking mess. I, I withdrew real hard. I stopped talking to other people. I got into verbal arguments a bunch. I was not, even people who came back in were just like, what happened to you? So it was, I was really glad, you know, when I thought of the opportunity, like, let me see if I can get this. And then when it got approved, it was for one, I mean, I got out early, but for two, I was able to like take some time because obviously like my marriage had pretty much ended before I went to jail and things only got worse um, when I was in there and my ex lost my house. It got foreclosed on while I was in jail. And so like, I knew I wasn't coming home, home and I needed some time to like work through that. So that's really what I used rehab for was like a step down program, which I ended up rehab honor student. And I mean, I was the chair of our DRA, which is dual recovery anonymous meetings. I was house captain. I was, yeah, I was rehab honor student. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. That's yeah. the BPD, you know? Yep. <laughs> But uh, it was, it was nice. Like I, but I swear I met, I met more girls with BPD who had been diagnosed at least in rehab than any other, like shit. There's probably more BPD diagnoses in there than the super feelers meeting. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was just, and like I said, the thing that, the only thing that made me angry was how many girls were told they had BPD who had a diagnosis, but hadn't even been pointed in the right direction of treatment. Mm-hmm. I was telling people who had a diagnosis for five, six, 10 years that DBT even existed. Yeah, that's so sad. And, and just, I mean, a lot of that is like it how how hopeless does that feel for these people? Right? Because then you're like maybe Googling the disorder and seeing that you're all gonna die and you're never gonna have a job and all the stigma that we all know isn't true with no like but if you work really hard and go to therapy, you can actually live a completely normal life that's worth living and way better than the life you're living right now. Like, yeah. so sad that that's not the case. I appreciate you handing out podcast information and super feelers <laughs> information. Seriously, like, there's so many girls with pink post-it notes with bold, beautiful borderline written on them because I had actually acquired a stack of post-it notes before I left jail that I wasn't supposed to have, but I definitely took them to rehab and handed them out like they were Halloween candy. Like I love it, that. I I would love to see like at our next couple super feelers, like you show up and then see like somebody that you recommended there and be like, I, oh my God. I really hope that the one girl uh is able to come because she is, you know, I I mean like I would talk to her and even when she had and she had outward meltdowns. I, I would watch her in a meltdown and I would go, oh, this is what I looked like when I was 24. Totally. Okay. I like I I was able to like recognize the behaviors and see myself in them, which was really helpful because a lot of people don't understand it and would just sort of write her off as like 
a spaz, right? Her office way too hot headed. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is a reaction to her feeling disrespected to her feeling not heard. She, Mm -hmm. you know, telling her to calm down is not going to work. Like, Rule number one, yeah. <laughs> never do that. No one has in the history of ever has ever calmed down from someone yelling, calm down and shut the fuck up. No. It just does not help happen. them regulate, co-regulate yeah. with them. Yeah. Never yeah. tell people to calm down. It's not going to help. Yeah. So like, I mean, I, there was a time where she got upset and I just walked her outside. I was like, let's walk outside and you can scream and yell outside. And it literally 30 seconds after we walked outside. Yep she was, you know, able to talk and express, like, I just felt disrespected when this girl kind of pushed me out of the way and started talking over me. And I was like, no, I understand. She did. She really did push you out of the way, but like fact check it. Yes, it happened. Yeah. This, this really did happen. And it was disrespectful. And I agree with you, but you know, you yelling was maybe not the best way to handle it. Was it? And she was like, yeah, well, and, and it was, it was, like just in 30 seconds, you just watch this change come over her of like, I was disrespected and that was rude, but I didn't probably have to pop off on her the way that I did. So it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. Like the only, the only part, like I really, really struggled with is because it was a 12 step based program. Yeah. So I'm an atheist. And like being in a 12 step based program was hard. That would be me. so hard for me too. I don't think I could do it. It ended up a little bit like Spartacus. Uh, I went to, um, they had meetings for AA, NA, and DRA. DRA is Dual Recovery Anonymous. So Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Dual Recovery Anonymous. I went to the DRA meetings and it was probably like two weeks in one of the topics of the meeting was your higher power. And I just remember I, I said, you know, like I'm an atheist. I don't believe in like I've tried. I, I envy those who have found this inner peace with it. It's just, it's not for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and it, it was a sort of a funny, like I am Spartacus moment where after I shared that every, there were tons of people sharing, like, you know, Oh, I don't believe either. So it was, it's funny how it takes like one person to start it. And it does like, I was other than this other girl who I said, I hope I see her. Like she was the only person who said that she had BPD. And so then I brought up in a meeting, I have BPD. And then you got a ton of other people going, I have this, you have BPD. You seem so like happy and normal. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've been to DBT. I go to there. You know, I was in therapy every week for it. Like I'm 40. All of these contribute to your symptoms going down like and you can also have bpd and not fit the yeah like the the, uh, the yeah the the vision that people have about bpd right um, yeah and like yeah. i did with like now it's more confined to who i do it to or you know it's sort of that that the quote quote unquote quiet bpd mm-hmm. but i would tell them i'm like when i was 25 i was doing the same thing she was when I was 25, sure. I was popping off, but I, I got, I got the help I needed. I got, you know, I got older because as you get older, your symptoms, I mean, I personally, as I've gotten older, my symptoms have declined. Um, totally. Going through DBT, my symptoms have declined. Just even like finding out more about BPD. Like I remember, cause I didn't start DDT for like three months after I found you guys. 
But like, even just listening to other people say, this is my experience. This is what I go through. And here's how I work on it helped immensely. You guys always said there's no peer support model in, in DBT, but there really freaking should be because oh, 100%. there's, I mean, there's nothing more comforting than hearing other people talk about, I go through this too. Yeah. You know, where you're, you know, not alone. And then you might gain insight on like, here's how I deal with that. Here's how, what has worked for me. Here's what hasn't. And maybe not everything's going to work for you, but at least you're not alone and you have some suggestions. And so, it was yeah. Really- and you're hearing it from the people that actually get it as opposed to like counselors who aren't understanding yeah. what they're actually you're not, saying. You're not getting a workbook on it. You're getting it from somebody who's been successful. It was just, it, I really wish, like I said, it, and it was a dual diagnosis facility, like I said. So everybody in there not only had an addiction issue, they had a mental health issue. So like the number of g- girls with BPD, it had to be almost 50% by the time that like I was leaving and like I had gotten people to open up about it. And so and the stats say that, right? Like it's, it's a huge proportion, mm-hmm. but people just don't yeah. want to share because they're, they're, they're uncomfortable. Yeah. I so appreciate you being here and sharing with us. And I am so happy you're alive and that Yay. you're out of jail. And then I'm going to see you again at super feelers is there any like, woohoo, is there any like final, anything that you didn't say that you really wanted to, or any final thoughts that you want to share with people? Um, yeah. Fight for criminal justice reform for the mentally ill. Um, I mean, really it's, it's not going to get better on its own. Um, be kind to those people when you, if you come across them, like the number of people that I met in jail that I would never have suspected if I'd have seen them on the outside. Uh, it's not, it's not a bad place full of crazy people and murderers. It's just a bunch of people trying to survive. And then, you know, it get into rehab if you need it. It's not perfect. Nothing in our mental health system is perfect, but doing something is better than nothing. And hopefully you'll run into somebody who gives you a really good pink post-it note. <laughs> Danielle, I love you so fucking much. Love you guys. That was all of those things I 100% agree with. And I hope for pink post-it notes for everybody out there. I cannot wait to see what super feelers people are going to literally scream. They're going to be so excited to see you. And I can't wait to see Sarah too. Oh my gosh. So, all right. Talk to you again soon, honey. Hi friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the bold, beautiful borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you and we'll see you next time.